Hello and welcome to another episode of the RPG Academy podcast. I am Michael, and tonight I am hosting a recap session for our recent actual play, Trial of Endless Realms, the new RPG coming out from Lunar Games. Uh, by the time you're listening to this, the Kickstarter should already be live. If not, check the show notes. There'll be links, and when it's live, you can go there and click and move in. So uh, with me tonight are the players that played in the game. Uh, myself, I will obviously played in the game i played a, a race called Silian, which were sort of like half komodo dragon cat people from what i recall uh and i was an elemental uh caster because i always play casters and uh to my right was michael michael tell us about yourself and who you were playing in the game michael i am best known uh for the work we've done on uh redemption as ensign tazi uh for the rpg academy network what, what? Uh, right, gonna throw that out there. Uh, so for this particular game, I played uh, the character of uh, Tiny Willow, uh, and Tiny Willow was a uh, Yakshi, which is basically my understanding is that they're they're similar to like uh, arboreal or tree people. Uh, they tend to have long lives; they're very long lived, and uh, there's various types of them. Again. It's, it seems like a lot of it was based on region as well. So like where you were in the game world is kind of the type of Yakshi you would find. Like I, my character was like a weeping willow type of tree. Right. Again, my understanding is that you, you're a plant-based race, but you don't have to always be – you could be a bush. You could be oh, okay. a flower. Your particular flavor was a tree. Yes. Yes. My flavor was indeed a tree. So you were like Groot basically. A much more talkative and, and funny – very witty, uh, a very witty version uh, of Groot. Yeah, we'll move on from there. Uh, Taylor, say hello to everybody. Tell us who you are and who you were playing in the game. Hello, friends and enemies. Uh, my name is Taylor LaBrush, and I run Riverhouse Games. Uh, you might recognize me from that episode of Detention where I talked about druids um, incessantly for an hour. And then the faculty meeting where we expounded on that. Yeah, where I talked about shambling mouths for an hour. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so you... you you know, Riverhouse Games, we do uh, a lot of work with um, queer and LGBT plus uh, tabletop game verbers. Uh, so anyone who designs games, uh, podcast games, streams, like just blogs about games. Um, if you do stuff with games, we want to talk to you about it. So yeah, that's that's me. Uh, I played Hetelm. Um, the name of my species escapes me, but I was essentially a furry. Uh, I got to play uh, a rabbit lady with really um, uh, bouncy ears. Um, and I was a dandy, um, and I also played a dandy in the game. Um, <laughs> a dandy. <laughs> uh, so it was really fun to like be like really flourishing. Um, uh, I got to make a lot of quips that bounced off of Tiny Willow, which was nice. And I we'll talk about it later. But I insulted a lot of and in inanimate objects, animate mm -hmm. objects, a lot of things. Fantastic. And then our last player for this game was Tanner. Tanner, say hello to everyone, who you are and what you played in the game. Hey guys, I'm Tanner. Um, I am your usual GM, but uh, right now I believe by the time you're listening to this, I will be a player on the Shadow of the Cabal podcast on the RPG Academy Ooh. Network. Yeah, what? good times. Um, yeah, I played Tog, which um, I forget again what her sort of species was, but she was a... Half, Maybe like a minotaur? I think she was like a half angel, half demon type situation. Oh, so like an outsider kind of. Um, and she was a barbarian and um, she put up with no BS from anybody else. She attacked a child. And you know what? Listen, uh, we all attack that. Don't, we all say, atta don't I, use words like we all. <laughs> Three out of the four of us. I, no, no, no. I intimidate. I riled the child up. I remember at the beginning and made her angry, yes. but yeah, um, I, and I absolutely played into my wheelhouse of my favorite things to play. Usually, when I have the chance to be a player, which is big dumb fighters, and it was awesome. Well, thank you all for joining me originally for that game, and also thank you tonight joining me again. So we do our recap. If you are new to the show and don't know what this is, we do what we call a trial which is where we try out a brand new game system. Usually it's something that's involved with Kickstarter just because that's the way the world works right now, but it could also be a game that we're just not familiar with. Uh, like we played Software System for the first time a while back, and we played uh, Dungeon World, which some of the players had, I had, and that kind of thing. So for this game, we played Endless Realms, which again is a brand new RPG. By this point, the Kickstarter should be live. Uh, it's from a company called Lunar Games, which is like four to five, I think, just friends who got together and played role play games a lot and decided they want to make their own game 
and they're taking it to Kickstarter, which is awesome. And we like to usually start with sort of just like sort of big picture uh, things, you know, it's a little positive, a little critical if there is anything, but it's sort of overall thoughts and feelings on the game. So I'm going to start with you, Tanner. I'll go reverse order. What are some of your overall thoughts on the game? It was like a week ago or so since we played, so there's a little bit of time in between. But uh, what are your thoughts about the game? Big picture. Um, I really enjoyed it. Uh, I liked that there was always an option, a lot of options for things that I could do, even as sort of a martial or like fighter type class, which I think a lot of games struggle at. And from playing it, I could just tell that there is like a ton of love and care put not only into the world and like the exploration of it, but also the mechanics and keeping it, um, keeping like the rolling and the the core mechanics pretty simple, but still offering a lot of complexity based on like what your character can and can't do. It was a really good time. Very cool. And Taylor, what about you? So, yeah, uh, I, I thought that the game was fun. Um, I'm not usually a huge fan of like trad crunchy games. Um, so like, I don't know that there was a lot that really jumped out at me mechanics wise that I was like, Ooh, I like this. Um, or I don't like this. Um, one thing that did stand out is that it felt like when I was playing the dandy, it felt like there were things that um, that had like really good starts, but maybe I think could have been a little bit better in execution. I, I made a joke when we were doing our intro of the show that I insulted a lot of people. Um, that was really kind of like only because there was one move that really felt like it could apply in the situations that we were that I felt like I could actually contribute to the group. And that was insult, which I could taunt someone. Um, I would throw an insult their way. And then um, I think they had to like focus on me to attack me. And so I kept doing that because it meant that you all could like do your cool stuff without having to worry about any of the monsters that we were fighting, like come at you. But like the rest of the stuff for the dandy was like, there were, I think that there there was really cool sounding stuff like you could switch stances and like that your different stances opened different move sets but like I I don't think that we were really put in a position where we were in like a fight that would have justified stance swapping a bunch. And additionally it felt like a lot of the moves that were on the paper on the page were like really combat oriented for me. Um and so I think that what brought the most fun for me was the world. I agree. Um, and I, I really, really loved the work that they did with like establishing the lore for the different characters. I felt like we were in like an actually unique fantasy, um, fantasy world. Um, I loved the sort of history that we got to pick up as we explored the dungeon. And I also, like I said this when we were actually recording the game, but I think that the art for this game is phenomenal. Um, it was really evocative. I got a lot of sense of flavor and a lot of that art really influenced how I played the character and how I saw everyone else around me. All right. Very cool. And uh, Michael, how about yourself? Big, uh, big picture thoughts about the game. Big picture thoughts. I have to echo uh, Tanner and Taylor. I really enjoyed the game world. Um, The, the, the feeling like, like you said of history as we're going through the dungeon and looking at these murals and kind of like getting that, feel for the story and the background of the area that we were in uh the different relationships between the the character uh species uh, especially as we're playing and running into these basically these species that are very similar to one of our player characters but not at the same time um you know a lot of that background information that we were provided was made it very easy to just kind of drop into the character like uh the, the the information on the sheets, the information for the racial abilities and the class attributes, all those different types of things, it, it made it very easy to kind of hop in and play this character in this world. Um, I would also uh, echo Taylor in that I liked, I liked this the array of abilities that were available to the character I was playing was a warden class, um, and they had racial and class abilities and such. But I kind of felt similar in that when we got into a position where there was resolution by combat, my options were few because (laughs) the options available didn't seem to really work well in the way in which our combats were running. Um, uh, so for my character in particular, like the, basically all I could really do was all I felt like I could do was really just stand outside the fight and shoot barbed arrows in at whatever we were, fighting against and it worked well children. it was very successful children yeah 
children, uh, you know, again, frog, reptile, frog people, um, you know, uh, beasts. But uh, anything I could put an arrow into, I would. But um, <laughs> but at the same time, that did felt feel a little bit limiting on in that aspect. When we were outside of combat, I felt like there was some more interesting things to do with some of the skills. Uh, but again, we uh, I think we were running it more uh, like we tend to do as we when we get together as a group is a very story focused mechanic light game. Mm-hmm. And I feel like there was maybe more on the page than we made use of. So for myself, again, I'll echo that the lore of the world was just great. I loved that. I, I kind of felt like for me, the, I'll equate it to is like the first time I played Mass Effect. I was, you know, interacting with all these different alien races, but all the races felt like they had history. Even though I was just learning about them, they felt old. And all of these races and classes felt like they were around. They weren't, I don't know, I don't know what it was about that that made me feel that way, but that was what my thought is I'm playing in a world that's been around for a long time. I'm just happy now to find it. And I really like that. And I'm on record. I don't like playing non-humans. Like I just... I'm not a big fan of it. Like I play an elf, play a dwarf. Most of the time in D and D, I play human, and xenophobe. I am, and and I I really don't like people playing weird races. Like in my normal games, can't be a minotaur, can't be a centaur, can't be any other tar. I just I don't <laughs> like those. I like to dwarves, elves, humans, halflings, maybe no gnomes. Gnomes are evil. Hey now, but in this game, we were all weird stuff. You were a you were a rabbit. You were a tree. You were a half demon, half angel minotaur, and I was like a cat person that had scales. But it all worked. I had no problem with it because we were all unique in that world. I think that worked. From the mechanic standpoint, because I'm not the mechanics person, I wouldn't call them rules light because you had a lot of options. But it certainly wasn't crunchy. It was streamlined. And so I don't know if that's the word I would use. Because it's not like I'm saying it's too rules light because there was rules there and they worked. But they were simplified, streamlined, and I thought they did what they needed to do without doing any more than that. I think I'd agree with that. Uh, again, uh, before we recorded this, I happened to remind the group that I am also not a mechanics guy. So my focus was on the story, the things I remembered from the game. And, you know, to be honest, I didn't recall a lot of the dice mechanics. And, and I don't know if that's because maybe we didn't use a ton of dice mechanics. We, again, we, t- we have a tendency to play through story and maybe a little bit less mechanically, less crunchy, but, uh, you know, what I do recall of the dice rolling and what I recall of like, you know, using the skills and such uh, in combat and outside, it was it was very simple to calculate. It wasn't hard. I wasn't sitting there staring at my screen trying to add modifiers here and there. Like it was a very, you know, one, two, three go system. I guess if nobody else will, I'll put on the mechanics guy hat in this Thanks, uh, Tanner. in this conversation. Yeah, no problem. No, I really, really did enjoy the mechanics um, in this game. I think that... I'm going to put an asterisk on the statement, but it feels somewhere between like D and D fifth edition and D and D fourth edition where like four E D and D love it or hate it. It had, it did a really good job of giving all of the character classes, unique, powerful things to do at all times. You always had an array of options at your fingertips. And I think that's where the game really shown and endless realms kind of gave me that vibe, but it didn't bog me down in the grid combat, there was no grid. We did it all three theater of the mind and it seemed to work totally fine for that. And it felt somewhere in complexity between like D and D fourth edition and fifth edition. And that there was a lot of room for just adjudication and just, you know, rulings and the rules got out of the way if we wanted them to, which often we did, but I think the rules stand on their own. Again, as not the mechanics guy, there were a lot of things though that I, that I thought made a lot of sense. Like, you know, again, for my simple brain, I thought they made some really good decisions. Everything was a D10. You you, you right. never had like, well, in this case, you roll a D8. In this case, you roll a D12. It was always D10. And you only had to really worry about your modifier. If you got a 10, you added five. And that was just static. So it, it always happened. You never had to question what that meant. And if your number was higher than their number, you succeeded. And damage was set. Yeah, that's genius. That's I don't nice. know if I'm a huge fan of it. But but it makes it, again, part of that streamline that if you hit, you do X damage. If you hit by enough, you do high damage, which is like more. I don't know if it's double or what, but it's an additional damage. So it's kind of cool to roll even higher than you need to, but it, it doesn't require any more dice rolls. It doesn't require any more math. It's all just basically kind of set there. And I just think that was great. Though I do have one major critique on the mechanics. All right, everybody, hold on. 
Why not use the D12? Uh, it's right there. I knew this was Shut coming. Up. Come on! Oh, get out of here. The D10 is one of the worst dies for the game. It's just boring. Come on. Log off. Uh, not enough sides. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. 12. It's right there. It's right there. Ladies and gentlemen, thanks for joining us for this recap of our Endless Realms <laughs> experience. Uh, had to cut this one We're going to take Michael uh, out back and put him down. I think you really touched on something uh, with the high damage, low damage thing, because I really did find that interesting, too. And, uh, Michael, you might be able to comment on this other Michael, uh, the, the one I like. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it kind of reminds me of um, Star Wars, where, you know, if you're shooting someone with a blaster pistol in Star Wars, it's not 1d10 damage. It's the floor is 6, yep. and it goes up from there. And that feels way more impactful, and you never with a roll it seems like um or like you'll never get a really cool hit and then roll a critical hit and you got two ones on your dice and it's like well great that's my turn yeah no exactly that's kind of what i enjoyed about it as well i mean uh and you know when people listen to the the actual play you know they've got my character tiny willow literally sitting at the back of the the thing just plunking arrows into people and doing some decent consistent damage almost every turn uh, you know, there's something to be said for having those static damage numbers and having something that you don't have to worry about. I'm going to do this number right. or I'm going to do this number, and it's going to be one of those two if I hit. Yeah, it's just one less dice roll to make yep. at the table, and it keeps things moving along. And the game uses uh, damage reduction, mm -hmm. which which does add some then some variability that I know I always do five damage, but when I'm fighting this thing, does it have DR1, DR7? Does it have no, no, no damage reduction? So it still keeps it interesting because you can't just math it all out. There's there's a variables that you don't know yet, at least not when you start. The right, it's not deterministic at all. It it yeah. is there is a lot of room for randomness in it, which is fun. All right. So it sounds like overall we all pretty well enjoyed the game. Um, I want to try to get a little bit specific if we can. I know, and we already did a little bit of this, but I'll start with you, Michael, this time and go the other way around. Was there anything in particular or very specific about the game? that you want to just call out and that we haven't already, or maybe expound on something if you feel like we've already touched it. You know, I, I can't say it's difficult coming into the game like this because these are characters that were given to us. We didn't actually create these characters. We didn't go through that process. So I can't speak to what that looks like. And I, I believe if I'm, I'm going to pull up the sheet here, cause I still have the character information cause I'm a, a hoarder of sorts. <laughs> uh, I think, or I feel like, I'm not sure what level we were at. Was it uh, level fourth. four? Okay. So at fourth level, as I said, there was a, a decent amount of abilities for inside and outside of combat. But when I f was inside combat, I really only felt like I had like one go-to move. One thing I was consistently able to do that would benefit the group. So I feel like there may be some more variety there, but because we didn't generate these characters in my, ourselves, I'm not sure what that looks like. If I'm looking at the generation process, what things are actually available to this character at level four versus what was on the page, what we were given. That being said, there wasn't a lot of other things I felt like were negatives to the system. Again, combat and, and actions outside of combat tended to move pretty quickly. We were able to, to make headway in a short period of time and, and can tell our story and the system didn't get in the way of doing that, which is very important to me as a player. I, I don't, I hate it when the systems, I feel like the system is impeding me in some way. Um, so yeah, I, I, other than the kind of the, the ambiguity of the, the generation system and, and how that works, it's my only thing I would call out really. I, I, I think for the most part, uh, it was an easy system to use and I enjoyed it. How about you, Taylor? Anything specific you want to call out? I really like the flavor of um, of, of everything. Just like how th how the text was written gave you more information on how to play your character than the mechanics did, in my opinion. Add on to that the really striking art for the game, and I got an immediate feel of okay, this is this is what we're doing. This is where we are. This is who I'm supposed to be. And I think that that inspired my role playing more than the mechanics did. Um, and I, I just want to like pick at something that Michael said just now, um, which is, you know, you, you don't like it when the mechanics get in the way. 
um, and games that they don't get in the way are good. I would like to push that further and say, like, we should take mechanics don't don't get in the way as baseline and start thinking of games that are good as games whose mechanics really get in there as much as we do when we're role playing to reinforce that role play. I 100% agree on that. Yeah, I want mechanics that are extremely active, um, but who I don't feel like I'm fighting um, to make the story. And I, yeah, I I really like how the text was written. And that might just be like me as like my my English lit nerd. Um, But I think that like, it just had a voice to the writing. Um, so like the move that I had was like insult. And it's like when you make a, a bound bounceful jape or something, I don't know exactly the words for it, but like it, like it told you more than just like when you insult your enemy or whatever. And like everything that was written like that, the writing, especially uh, as you mentioned, uh, it really makes me want to actually see what the book looks like in completed form. Like I would think this would be an entertaining book to read. Yeah. Yeah. It's super evocative. I've done my interview with Sherman and Kirsty, and one of the things that's in the Kickstarter are storybooks. So they've written short stories from various cultures' point of view and characters' point of view that kind of help flesh out that world as well. Now I don't I don't remember if those are like stretch goals or base or whatever, but there are ways to get stories into the world and like some of the stretch goals that you can put yourself into one of the stories type of a thing. You know, pretty pretty standard stuff, I guess, but. Um, the fact that you guys like the writing makes me think that that might be something people would also be interested in. Yeah. And I think it's one thing to say, like, I really like the in-world fiction that's produced along with this title. Like, um, I love the Numenera novels, but I think that the way that the Numenera book is written is something that attracts me distinctly from like a game design standpoint of how does this, how does this instructional text, um, inform the way that I go and and produce my own fiction rather than am I compelled and interested by the fiction that is designed to go along with this world. And I'll kind of tack onto that. There's a very fine line between game books. I feel like a lot of game books for a while tried to have a voice to them, and that is definitely a hit or miss thing for a lot of RPGs. But to Taylor's point, I think the voice of the writing in this, at least you know, on the materials that we saw, was was really really solid. Um, I want to touch on two things that I thought were really interesting. Um, sure. One, Go for yeah. It. One, I want to echo what everyone is saying that the world is just super intriguing, and this seems like a game that I would love to play as a player with a gm who knows a lot about the world and it's sort of me discovering all this stuff like you said in mass effect or you know any like the first five hours of any jrpg where you're just like there's a lot of vocabulary being thrown at me but once you take the time and figure it out and dig deep into it it's super super rewarding and i hope that i will get a similar vibe from this i kind of felt like i was a tourist there not in the fact right. that I like stood out or that I was like didn't belong or that I was like a voyeur looking in on something, but like I felt like we were all being guided through um, through the world by Sherman while he was mm-hmm. while he was running the game for us, and I, I felt like we we got a chance to like really look wide eyed and wonder at some of the cool things that exist in this world. And, and you know, th- thank you for bringing that up, Taylor, because one thing I'd love to do, and, or you bring it up and you remind me, is give a shout out to Sherman because that was a great game. He yeah, ran absolutely. it. He ran it yeah. very well. He obviously knows the system well, but not even not so much that in that the way he built the world for us, the way he presented it uh, was very well done and very evocative, like you say, and, and it really kind of pulled everybody into their characters pretty well. Yeah, the second thing I want to touch on, I agree with everything that was said, sorry. Uh, The second thing I want to touch on is that um, as a barbarian, which in traditional fantasy games um, that you can find at your local store, um, there's not a lot for you to do when there's not... um, a thing for you to hit right and i there's a specific moment where i was looking at my sheet and i had an ability that made my character angry which is a status effect um which gives me bonuses as a barbarian but it also makes the person i use it on angry which led to this really interesting design space of i can only willingly make myself angry by 
pissing somebody else off too. And so it was really cool that I got to use that on the small child, which we should have definitely just killed right then and there. Um, it was definitely interesting that I could um, put forth that and I could use what is pretty clearly seems to be written in other games like a combat ability but i mean it was a role-playing thing too i made myself angry i like to be angry as the barbarian and i made this kid angry so maybe this kid won't be following us around anymore and i thought that that's just sort of a move that i don't see a lot of games make which is to sort of blur the lines between combat abilities and non-combat abilities in a game where combat is such a big part of it for myself, there's a couple things I would call out as well. Um, I played the caster, which is pretty traditional. If there's a caster type class, that's what I always um, am drawn to. And I like to say that the reason I like to play a caster is I try to come up with overly complex solutions to mundane problems. You're that guy, huh? I am absolutely that guy. And I and again, Sherman ran the game, so some of that will have to be put on his shoulders. But he let me do a lot of that, and that made me very, very happy. And it was things that didn't break the game in any way. But I was using my spells for things that they may not have normally been, you know, designed to do. Now, when I interviewed them for the show and tell, they specifically said that is a design element. They wanted people who cast spells to be able to use them in ways that weren't combat related. Uh, I was able to use my wind power to, like, jump down a, a distance and land softly. I used my ice power, which is supposed to be to make people fall, to build a wall so that people couldn't come down a tunnel after us. Like... I just I love doing those sorts of things where I'm thinking outside the box and the game let me do that didn't break the game because the girl still got down there anyways it just took a little while yeah uh, but I really like that and along with that I want to call out the vices and virtues uh, the game doesn't have an alignment system they have vices and virtues which from what I understand some of that could be assigned based off of your race uh, but you also have a lot of option to to choose additional ones I guess or or Again, I don't exactly know how it works. I know you have some control, but not total control over which ones you get. And those just, I thought they did a great job of getting me in the mind of how I would role play my character. Because this was an alien creature. Again, it was like a cat sort of thing with scales. So I was kind of confused on what it looked like because I didn't get a chance to see the art. But I knew right away that my character was proud. And I just, that's what I latched on to first. I tried to play my character the whole time. She was the queen. Like, you were all there to serve her. Uh, and, you know, like I wouldn't bow to go through the door. I didn't want to get dirty. And I just, you know, those are things that instantly I knew how I wanted to role play that character because of those virtues and vices that I may not have in a different game. Again, that might be my failing, but the game gave me a tool to use and I was able to use it effectively. And I like that. Everybody knows that the best uh, moral code in tabletop RPGs is the code of Bushido, and uh, I think every role-playing game should... No, I'm just... I can't. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> all right. But it's not all roses. So we're going to go through one time. What is something that we didn't quite like? And it doesn't have to be terrible, but if something that could have been better or we would like to see maybe a difference because the game is still in development... Or if you don't have anything, find something. So I'll start with you, Tanner. What was something about the game that you think could have been better? Um, I don't have the character sheet in front of me right now, but I seem to remember in the top right corner of the character sheet, there is a big grid of resistances of pretty much every different video game magic type. And it didn't feel like something... Oh, It didn't really matter for the session that we played. I'll give the caveat for that. But I can't see a scenario in a game that I would want to run or play where I want to care about the difference between healing versus animus versus water damage versus ice damage stuff like that like I think that that stuff feels like it's just kind of there I mean we didn't play with it but it's kind of just an eyesore at the sh on the sheet and I'll be honest when I saw that on the sheet it made me raise my eyebrow I'm like like what am I getting into obviously when we played it it didn't really come up and honestly I don't think it would be a super huge hurdle but it just also seems like fat that could be trimmed from the game in my humble experience of playing the game once for four hours <laughs> so <laughs> i will put a big asterisk on that um but at, at first blush it's like really that's kind of how i felt about it all right what about you taylor anything in particular that stuck out to you in a critical way my critique of endless realms i think is going to be my critique of dungeons and dragons which is going to be my critique of you know world of darkness it's you know i i don't think that there's a lot in the mechanics as the as themselves that really lend themselves to the stories that we're trying to create 
So I I'm not a huge fan of binary pass fail mechanics. So when you roll a dice and you have to oppose a number, um, and if you do, you either get what you want, or if you don't, you don't get what you want. Um, I I I mean, a I think that that's kind of boring. Um, this is me putting on my hot take hat. So um, get ready for some <laughs> some spicy ones. Um, Taylor's hot <laughs> takes. But like, yeah, and I I don't think that like rolling a d10 and and comparing it against someone else's d10 that they rolled um, did justice to the like unique and interesting world that we were playing in. Um, I think we're where we got kind of close to that is where we had some of the more like specialized class mechanics. But at the end of the day, when we still deployed those mechanics, we were rolling a d10 and comparing that number to a d10 that someone else rolled. And there were just some fiddly bits that I think surrounded those rolls. That said, I don't know that that is a critique that is specific to this game. So take take that with a grain of salt. Very cool. And then you, Michael. I think... My call out is going to be for the uh, there are four specific like resource mechanics. Uh, there's hit points, there's magic points, there's stamina points and action points. And at no time during our test of the system did I feel like keeping track of those mattered. Hmm. Like, uh, you know, and I don't know if that's because our combats were short and they weren't extended. We didn't have to necessarily worry about you know, how many action points we had left at the end of the round, you know, or, or keeping those action points in, in some kind of, you know, stasis so that we can use them over an extended period of time. Yeah. It seemed like it kind of broke down to being a standard action, a move action and a free action at the end of the day. Anyway, exactly. And I feel like that resource, if it's not, if again, it's kind of like the, the resistances, if you're not making the resource a point of the, the combat or a point of the action, then it's just an added thing to keep track of. There's there's not a necessarily a value to it. So in this particular case, again, in our you know short four hour playthrough of this game, we didn't really use that mechanic very much. We didn't track it. It didn't come into play to a point where we were uh, penalized by it, uh, or that it felt like we actually had to track it. And I would say there's a there's a another grid on the character sheet that we didn't really have to use much, which was the senses grid. And it literally breaks down ranges for all the different types of senses. I feel like, again, that seems more like fiddly bits. Like you could, you know, there's a tremor sense uh, smell. And maybe that goes back to, again, there seems to be so many different types of species available. And maybe this is a way to kind of set those species apart from each other. These may these maybe have uh, dark vision. These maybe have low light. These maybe have tremor sense. But you know, I feel like it should be. It doesn't need to be a grid on the sheet so much as it's literally just like a one line entry, like under uh, even on your racial ability sheet or your or your species abilities. Like boom, there it is. Um, but other than that, again, that's really the only thing I can I could pick at. Um, everything else seemed to play pretty smoothly uh, mechanically. You know, it was not difficult to learn or difficult to play. One thing I just want to fire in quick again, um, Michael, what you're saying about the different resources and how they kind of all go up and down at the start of rounds and stuff, but it didn't quite end up mattering in a way that you thought was interesting. Um, One piece of like constructive criticism I would give, what um, there's a lot of board games or miniature games that also have things like action points or values that go up or down multiple times a turn or something like that. And um, a lot of the good ones come with little cardboard dials or like clicks, like hero clicks did. And I think it would be kind of cool um, to have, I think those would be more engaging if you had like maybe a physical doohickey to play with at the table um, to like keep track of all your different resources and stuff. That's something that would take it from fiddly to fiddly but still engaging i think it's funny that's funny tanner sorry go ahead michael no so it engages that tactile sense absolutely you yeah. get to play with the thing it's, it's funny earlier when you were talking about the resistances you mentioned kind of like a, a video game uh scenario and that's kind of how i felt about these resources i felt like i was playing I, or i look at those resources it makes me think about like a a mobile phone game or like even like a, a tactics, a tactics game where you're exactly yeah, yeah. where 
those points that you're spending matter because it does affect how you're going to be able to continue that combat action or that thing moving forward. And that's the impetus I feel like we were missing. Like the, the resources are there, but there really didn't seem to be a, a value placed on managing them. If that's the best way to put it. No, it doesn't. Actually, that was going to be one of my call outs was specifically the action points. Because just like what Tanner said, it felt to me like at the end of the day, we it didn't really matter. We all did one main thing and one minor thing, and we could do one free thing if we needed to. Uh, I did talk to Sherman about that when we did mm. the show and tell. And I guess there are certain classes that can get additional ones and as you level up. So at some point in the game, you might be able to go, okay, this turn I can do two things. And, you know, this turn I want to save it for defense. So I think that's something that further along in the game it might be useful but i think at our level again it it was just something i i literally just didn't track it i just said i want to attack this turn and move and you're a bad player like, no, michael no one ever called rules. me on it so i assumed i must have been within my action point uh rate rations i never got caught so it was okay <laughs> exactly i'll be honest i did the you same thing <laughs> yeah um, i did not so i'm a good thing, player and and this is kind of weird because uh, it, this is 100 percent contradictory to another game that did the same thing that I called out as son of a positive. But when you're doing the, the comparative, there were a few times where it felt sort of like almost anticlimactic because, you know, like we'd say, okay, you need this role. And then Sherman would roll, roll before us and he'd be like, I got a 27. Well, F it, I can't get that high. Or I got a four, like, well, I can't really fail. So there were a few times where I felt like, oh, this role really doesn't matter anymore. Yeah. Because of, so I don't know if the answer is to always let us roll first and then tell us what the number is. I don't know. It just felt weird a couple times in the game. No, I'll echo that. And I think that um, I haven't seen this from the GM point of view. And like I said, we played a very introductory adventure to it. So again, take this with a grain of salt, but it seemed like I don't, I don't know what the GM rolling added to it as a, besides just making it double random in both sides. Like it just increased the randomness. I feel like even if the, the number was a static number, like I don't think the odds really change. It's just the variation changes. And I, I'm sure that you can, you know, look at the math of how that actually works, but that's like, you know, in D and D it's not, okay, I'm going to roll acrobatics to cross the bridge. And the, the DM says, okay, I'm going to roll a D 20 plus five. And that's the number you have to beat. Because now you've just doubled the randomness involved. So I really want to see what this looks like behind the DM screen, so to speak, and see if um, there are things that play with it and make that GM's dice roll matter. So I think to, to the positive of that, because we, when we play Identico, like we had the same mechanic, and I remember it was kind of fun, but it might have just been the circumstances, because there was one time in particular where I knew I rolled terrible. And then the other person rolled even worse. So I was like, oh, and it's like, oh, you know, so it's like this like kind of roller coaster of emotion where I, and I ended up in a positive where in for some reason in this game, it felt more like it was more into the negative than the positive. I felt more times the roll did seem to, to matter less than than more. And again, I just don't know if that was because of what we rolled, specifically rolled or the order of operation. Again, going back, talking to the designers, they did mention that there was one play test where both the defender and the attacker both critically failed. And then, but because of the numbers, they still hit because even though they both critically failed, they compared to them. One was like a negative four, one was like a negative five. <laughs> so even though they both failed, damage was done. And so when they narrated that outcome, it was very kind of like, how do we make this work? How did we both fall down? But my sword ended up in your, your, your face. I can see where that might be fun, but I, just, I don't know if it's fun enough to like you're saying, Tanner, to justify that. It, Cause it's such a streamlined system. You could just say, Four, seven, and ten, you yeah. know, or like Shadow of the Demon Lord. Anything above ten succeeds, or whatever. And I think it would make it a little quicker. And I don't know that you'd lose a whole lot. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I'm not a game designer yet. Yet. Wink. Yet. <laughs> Ding. My game uses D12, <laughs> <laughs> and no one will play. <laughs> pretty much, yeah. All right. So uh, again, I I think we overall we all enjoyed the game. We have some particular nitpicks and critiques, and some of that's just our preference uh but we'll go one more time around the room anything else could be positive could be negative just something you want to call out or just something still on your brain that you think would be important for someone listening who might want to go give these people some of their money that you think they might want to know to help make them that make that decision 
So I should go. I'm gonna go catty corner here and go to Taylor first. I have played. Uh, I will say this is this is gonna sound like a humble brag, and it's not. I have played a lot of games with the people who have designed those games. Ooh. <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> um, very few of them had the energy that Sherman had when he ran this game for us. So you know, for whatever critiques that I have about the game, he loves it, and that made me enjoy it too. And you can really tell, like, from everything that is in, you know, everything that I've looked at this game, I can tell that it's been created by people who really enjoy it. There was never a moment where I felt like Sherman was, like, going through the ropes to do a promotional activity for this game. Like, even though that's that may very well have been what he was doing, so, you know, we know that it's it's great marketing to, like, go on podcasts and run your game. It felt like he was, he had the same energy that that he would bring to, like, his friend's table. So I I really thoroughly enjoyed that. I'm the kind of guy that, like, if I can tell that someone's passionate about something, that makes me passionate about it. So, you know, I'm, I'm going to swing for the fences with Endless Realms, like, specifically because I can tell that there's so much passion that was put into this. Thank you very much. And Tanner, we'll go to you next. I'll echo kind of what we've been saying the whole time is that when I walked away from this, not only did I have like a pretty interesting mechanical experience, but I, I walked away saying, I want to know as much about this world as possible. Like if this was a video game, I would want to sit in the menu in the, the codex for Mass Effect. And I want to read every single journal entry about this. And like, I think that it's hard to engineer a sense of like wonder and discovery in games i don't know how you can design that but it's here and i i want to see more of it and i think that that's as intelligently as i can speak about that that sense that i get it reminds me of like being 13 years old and drawing cool animal people in my journals and like wanting to explore and like all these wacky fantasy names that are kind of gobbledygook but i still want to figure out what they are and enjoy them so it it just leaves me with a sense of I really want to see what else is here. Very cool. And then Michael. I'd like to call out the fact that this system is very much, or at least from what I can tell and all the artwork I've seen, it's very much not your father or mother's fantasy realm. I mean, most of the characters that we played were interesting species combinations or very kind of uh, different takes on different on things you might see in other games. Myself, I, I was thrilled that the character I got to play was uh, gender neutral. It was the first time I have played a gender neutral character in a game. Uh, I do t still tend to think in a very binary way. I'll, I typically go male or female in a game. And it was an amazing exercise for me. I know I was trying my best at the table. But from a player standpoint, that was a a really interesting and a really intense experience for me as a player to go through. And looking at the way the the rest of the characters seem to be set up, it seems like that's just a normal part of the game world. And it is not specifically designed to be a call out or any particular reason. It is just a thing and it is just in the world. And I really like that about the game. Um, I mean, it's something that's becoming more common in, in especially story-based games, uh, you know, last few years nowadays. But it's nice to be able to see it in such a very plain text and no bones context. Like this is a this this these characters do not have to be a particular way. It is up to you as a player to make them however you would like them to be. Um. And I, again, that call out to that artwork, I mean, it really just, if you get a chance, anybody, go on and look up Endless Realms. There's going to be at least a huge Google Images section for it from their DeviantArt page. And there's some amazing stuff in there. It really just fuels the imagination and makes you want to play the game more. And I think myself, I'm mostly going to echo everyone. The, the lore of the world and the, the feeling that I got playing it was great. I'm the guy who's going to ignore the rules anyway, so it really doesn't matter what die you roll because I'm just not going to do that. But am I going to have fun playing in this world? And the answer is yes. And something that we sort of touched on is all these species, I guess that's, I should say species, not races, yeah. but all these species felt unique 
but they didn't feel like unique for unique sake. Like they didn't go, well, we don't want elves. So how about elves? But they all have like fangs. Right. You know, it wasn't just like, was, you know, throw man bear pig in there just to make something weird. They all felt like they had a history that they, they made sense that this is some sort of actual evolution that would have gotten them there. And I don't know how long that took them. If it was easy, I don't know if they stole it from something else. I don't know, but it works. And I really enjoyed it. And I'm looking forward to getting to know more about that world. I could see myself playing a, a game, maybe using a different rule set in that same world. And I think that's awesome. Mm-hmm. Awesome. All right. So anything else before we wrap up? Any final words from Thanks anyone? again to Sherman. Yeah, thank we you. had a great time. Yeah, you knocked it out of the park, Sherman. It was awesome. Absolutely. So uh, myself, again, Michael at the RPG Academy. You can find me pretty much anywhere online at the RPG Academy. If you search for that and you find it, it's probably me. If it's not, let me know because i got to have a conversation with somebody. Michael, where can people find you? Um, at LoserMLW on Twitter is where I'm most active. You'll find me in the Redemption Discords, uh, yakking it up, and also in the Shadow of the Cabal Discords, being a general menace. Yep, absolutely. <laughs> we got to kick him out. I'm gonna call one. I'm gonna call two more things out. I, we do have a, a Shadow of the Demon Lord podcast, Tales of Blood and Stone. Catch us there. It's phenomenal. And Sunday nights. Uh, also, a newer member to the RPG Academy Network, Return to Greyhawk. I'm active in that Twitch stream as well. It's a game that takes place in the original Greyhawk campaign setting using D&D 5e, and uh, it's going great. So those are the places I can be found. Take it away, Tanner. I'm Tanner. I am the host and usual GM of the Shadow of the Cabal podcast. We just wrapped up a Legend of the Five Rings campaign, 47 episodes deep. There's a lot to dig into. And as of the release time, hopefully um, we're going to be starting our second campaign in something a little bit different. Uh, Our good player Dakota is going to be running a game of Knights Black Agents Blood Money. We're going to be heisting money from vampires, and I really hope I don't get my blood sucked on the way there, because I want to get rich baby so uh <laughs> look forward to that you can find us on twitter um uh, twitter.com slash s-o-t-c pod like shadow of the cabal pod and um we will be there and that is where we're most active taylor take it away hi uh my name is taylor and you can find everything that i do at riverhousegames.com uh i am extremely active on twitter at leviathan files uh, you can also jump into the Riverhouse Games Discord channel, which you can get to by going to tinyurl.com slash rhgchat. Uh, there is a toll to get in, which is a picture of Jake Gyllenhaal posted in the Pictures of Jake Gyllenhaal channel. Um, that is not a joke. Please do that. It's a really good way to say hello. It's the toll um, we almost pay sooner or later in life. That's a hell of a price. <laughs> Uh, no, the RHG Discord is something that uh, I I had just kind of small for like friends of the friends of like Riverhouse Games, but um, opening it up to kind of everyone, it's a a really queer friendly spot to come and hang out and talk about games. Um, uh, you can find the show that I do for the RPG Academy Network uh, over on iTunes. We are called Game Closet. Uh, just one game. A lot of people say Games Closet, and I'm hearing that, and I'm saying mm mm, uh, only one. Um, there's only one game and that's the game of loving and supporting your friends. So you can find the episode, hopefully, um, by the time that this episode goes live, you can listen to the episode that I just recorded this weekend with Alex Roberts of Starcrossed, uh, which is a game that is on Kickstarter now and everyone should be backing. Hopefully this is in time, uh, that you could still go and fling money at that. Um, and then what else? Uh, oh yes, I also just started doing a Twitch stream that... Michael, feel free to cut this, but I was going to submit to you for the RPG Academy. Um, you tell. <laughs> uh, Sunday mornings. It. Sunday mornings, it's called Small Games Sunday, and the games has a Y in it because branding. Um, <laughs> right now, we're just doing small little uh, queer indie games. So I'm playing through Tusks, an orc dating sim, uh, where you play an orc who is on a uh, sort of a pilgrimage with a bunch of uh, a bunch of queer orc men, um, and you just kind of like have this really wholesome uh, experience with each other as you get to know each other on this pilgrimage. And it's really, it's really tender and it's really amazing. But it's like all these orcs with like battle scars. Um, and, Some like, look like Jake Gyllenhaal. Uh, well, um, <laughs> don't you mean Jake Gyllenhaal? <laughs> Hold, there's there may be reasons why I started playing this game. Um, <laughs> But we're going to, you know, we'll we'll play other, like, queer indie video games, but then also uh, I want to start using it to uh, look at, like, playtesting games and, like, how do we how do we make 
um, games that challenge like our our norms or like expectations of what role playing games are. Um, so so, so when that is that game? When is that show starting? Uh, it is ongoing. So we've been doing it the past couple of weeks. Uh, it's Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. Central Time. Uh, we usually go for about an hour and a half. What's the Twitch channel for that, Taylor? I am glad that you asked. It's twitch.tv slash the Leviathan Files. And uh, Jake Gyllenhaal, if you're listening, if you want to feature on the show, um, you can contact Michael for a show and tell, and we will uh, we'll do whatever you want. Contact baby. Taylor for a show and tell. <laughs> yeah. Yes, please. <laughs> and with that, we will sign off. Thanks and good night. Thanks for listening to the RPG Academy podcast, the flagship program of the RPG Academy Network. If you enjoy what we do here, then please check out therpgacademy.com and visit our site partners for additional entertainment and gaming advice. We do this out of love for the hobby and for you, our fans. The podcast and site content will always be free for you to enjoy and utilize. But we do have expenses related to the show. If you'd like to help out in any way, please visit patreon.com slash Academy and check out the rewards we are providing for your monthly pledges. We use all funds that come in to improve the show and give you better content and quality. And if you don't have the coin to spend, don't worry. You can still help us out in many ways. You can subscribe to our show on iTunes and or Stitcher Radio. You can leave us a five-star review. Also, if you clear your cookies and you visit Amazon or the DriveThruRPG site through our portal, we get a small percentage of what you pay, and it doesn't cost you anything extra. Just like any RPG, our site works best with open lines of communication. We love talking with our listeners about everything. Please contact us with any questions, concerns, and comments that you have. We also love to hear feedback and experiences from your own games. You can email us via podcast at therpgacademy.com and reach us on social media, such as Facebook and Google Plus at The RPG Academy. But Twitter is usually the fastest way to reach us. You can find my favorite co-host, The Caleb G, at The Caleb G. And you can find my favorite co-host, Michael, at The RPG Academy. Thanks for listening. And as always, if you're having fun, you're doing it right.